All right, we'll bring it in. Let's start off with a word of prayer today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this uh, letter to the church in Corinth uh, and Paul's instruction. Lord, you speak through Paul, and as we get to this part over here where it can be um, not just misinterpreted, but Lord, we're kind of all over the place. We thank you for this gift. And the first two words Paul says, pursue love, pursue agape, pursue what you've done for us. And Lord, let us always continue to pursue you and the love that you've given to us because you certainly pursued us. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We're almost, we're almost, I want, I want to say we're almost done, but we, we are almost done and we're not almost done. You notice it's like March 5th. So we got, oh, golly, how many, quite a few weeks. We're not done with the book of 1 Corinthians till like mid-May. And you're <laughs> like, how can that be? We're on chapter 14. Aren't there only 16 chapters? There are. Uh, it gets a lot thicker and denser. Uh, right here at the end of the letter. It's kind of like if you're preaching up there and you're, you're, you're going through and it's a good pace and then you look at the clock and you're like, oh man, I got like five minutes max to keep these people engaged so you start preaching really fast. <laughs> Not that you have this problem. I may have had this problem once or twice. Um, you go, oh, then you, then you throw everything in really quick and then okay, we're done. Right? Paul's kind of doing that right now. He's throwing a lot of things at us really quickly. So over here we're going uh, chapter 14 verses 1 through 24. So we'll kind of read through it together, and you can see we get one verse in before we have to t- stop and take a break. Paul says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We'll stop there. So a little bit of review in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We did that whole chapter last time, and that question, what is love? If you were here last week, that answer, what is love, as we looked at, whenever you see the word love in Scripture, you always got to say, which love is it? And, you know, go to Bible Hub, ask your pastor. It's like, hey, I need to know which word for love this is. Is it uh, the agape love? Is it the filio love, storge? Is it uh, philostorgis, which is kind of a combination of the words? Which kind of love is it? This is, again, just like in chapter 13, agape love, right? Benevolence, a willing and, uh, a willing and uh, pure sacrifice. That's what it is. Willing and pure sacrifice. So when we say pursue agape... We have God personified in that word, right? The act of love for us, that willing sacrifice for us on our behalf. When we get that in 1 John uh, 4, 8, right? Again, that review, if anyone does not know love, they do not know God because God is love. So in that same love is that agape love. So benevolence, pure and willing sacrifice, we have that. Now Paul starts it. After all that, you know, going through the chapters, spiritual gifts all the way back in chapter 12. If I go back to there, spiritual gifts, being one body with many members, the ways of love, what love is, and how necessary it is. If I don't have love, he says at the beginning of 13, I have nothing. So we have all of the, oh, I even wrote that in. Good job, Chris. Uh, the purpose of gifts is to serve one another in agape love. As he mentions at the end of 13, that's a, a pale reflection, right? I, we see in a mirror dimly now and we know in part and prophesy in part. In time, we will know the fullness of God when we see him face to face. We will know the fullness of love when we see God face to face. So that's kind of all the review. So he continues here. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? To serve your neighbor, right? To serve one another in love, in agape love. So that's what, uh, when we get to that, what does it mean to prophesy? Well, I'll start with this. So clearly what we're going to talk about a lot in this section are the, the things that the chapter is titled after, probably in your Bible. Prophecy in tongues, right? What is speaking in tongues and what does it mean to prophesy? Yeah, yeah Lois. 
Oh, you want to know? Okay, good. Yeah. Tell us. Because I'm Lutheran, so I ignore this part. So exactly. <laughs> you know, you and I are going to have to sit down one day. There are some parts of the Bible you ignore a lot. <laughs> yeah. And just in our short time together, it's like head coverings. Yeah, I just ignore that part. <laughs> so, but, but it's because in, in, in this letter, then. well, they're, they're tough to digest, aren't they? Right. They I are. You kind of. part submit to your husband. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> that is hard? <laughs> or, no, no. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but no, we are, we are going to clarify both of those today. For that very reason, as you could say, as Lutherans, we, I, I'd like to say as Lutherans, we just, we don't like to take things, hmm, to say take it, at, we don't like to take it at face value is, is a bad, bad understanding of what I want to communicate. It's more so, it's like, there's always more there. And just because this was translated in English and it says this, it's like, okay, well, we must just do exactly what it says. That's the mistake we made with head coverings, right? We're reading something from the first century in a 21st century context in a different language, even. So we kind of have to dive a little bit deeper. Okay, if this isn't gelling with not just my faith and belief, but also with the character of, of God and Jesus as I know him, there's got to be something more here because it's in Scripture. So we will get o- go over that. So we'll talk about those two words in particular, prophesy and then um, speaking in tongues. First one, I, I kind of put it up here for you, right? Profeto, foretelling, which reveals the mind and message of God in particular. So to interpret that, what does it mean to prophesy? Um, we have like the Hollywood version of it in our head, where we kind of go, uh, oh, this is the warrior of prophecy. He's come to fulfill um, what was read in the ancient texts, and, and you'll be the one that saves us. Or, or um, I've come to tell you the future, and when the, the day of the world will end on this day, because I read, uh, gosh, I remember the Bible code. I don't know, did you ever see that? I saw like a History Channel special on it, where it was like every third, uh, like an English Bible, every third page, the 50th word, um, and, and the second letter of it, and if you do that and you go through all this, it predicted Hitler. It's like, that's, that's, okay, <laughs> sure. It's kind of wild how yeah, you can catch you against that with any book, you can come up with some Oh, you're, you're, kind, you're kind of coming up with the idea now, yeah. exactly, right? I could take the Lord of the Rings and pick out specific different lines yep. in there and come up with a prophecy of it, exactly. Yep, so... So you, you see that and you kind of go, okay, that can't be exactly what Paul's talking about. Do we have that in the Old Testament? Yeah, we do. It's never like on the 23rd day of the, of the fifth month at the 11th hour, um, you know, an angel gets its wings or whatever you want to say. It's never that kind of prophecy. It's always pointing to Christ. There will be a time. Your Savior will look like this. This is what your Savior will do. He will come at the appropriate time. It's never... Like um, it's never specific. It's it's never like when you go watch Back to the Future two and they're in the future, and you know they, they're trying to get the uh, the almanac, the sports almanac, right mm-hmm. from there, so you can go back. And it's like it's like a fulfilled prophecy. Now I have all the answers because the book t- predicts the future for you or what's about to happen. It's not like that. The word prophesy, you can see what it means. Uh, profeto, foretelling, which reveals the mind and message. And you could stop there, but if we're talking about Scripture, we're the mind and message of God in a particular situation, right? Can I prophesy pretty accurately the mind and message of God in a particular situation? Yeah, he gives us plenty of stuff over here. I could do the same thing, uh, you know, if I wanted to with Dylan. It's not anything like crazy, but I could look at Dylan, I can know him and be like, man, you know, I noticed that your, your shirt's torn. 
Um, you know, I bet you're, <laughs> it's, it's not torn, but you know, I'm kind of making stuff, I, you know, you'll, I bet you're a little disgruntled right now because your shirt's torn, your, your mom fell down, I can just kind of see it on your face. I revealed the mind and message of Dylan in a particular situation, therefore I prophesied. Right? So you're getting the idea that prophecy is not just the Old Testament prophecies. That's a different word in the Hebrew. This to mean to prophesy about a particular situation. Now, I'll give you a clue. How often do you see it and hear it happen? Pastor Dinger, the big three for pastors. When I was a new pastor, Pastor Dinger tells this to everybody. When uh, he goes and consults churches and, and guys that are new, he says, Hey, as a pastor, there's a big three. There are three things that you need to do. Number one, you need to hold Jesus high. Number two... You need to love the people God's put in front of you. Number three, you have to prophesy. It's not what he says, though. What he says is you have to make the Bible make sense. You're called to... That's prophesying. I'm revealing the mind of God in a given situation. A sermon would be such a thing, right? Things that you heard Aaron say today, you hear me on Sunday, you hear Pastor Dinger on a Sunday. He is prophesying. He's revealing the mind of God in a particular situation. In regards to this, we can kind of... Prophesy today. Well, you know, is, is X, Y, or Z, I, I won't get into any of them right now, X, Y, or Z political issue a good and godly thing or not? Well, from what I've read in Scripture, I would tell you, no, it's not. From what I've read in Scripture, yes, it's a good and godly thing. Why? Because I'm revealing the mind of God, foretelling in a God in a particular situation. Does that make sense? Topical preaching kind of does that very well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see a top, you know, what is love? Um, 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 trouble in the world today. You know, I'm coming up with odd topics, things like that. You are redeemed. Like these are just topical things, and then you go to the mind of God, which He's given us plenty of clues and cues here in Scripture to tell you and prophesy necessarily the mind of God. Does that make sense? So it's it, you could say interpretation. I always warn people with that word a little bit. Interpretation makes it sound like my interpretation of what God said. No, I'm going to do my best to reveal the mind of God and what He said, um, and the Holy Spirit somehow uses me as an instrument to do that. You know, Paul even tells you in here often, this is not from the Spirit, but from me, right? Paul will give you a warning when he's telling you, like, this is my opinion, this isn't necessarily God speaking. And you see that several times just in this letter alone. Um, but it's we want to kind of... that he can tell when it's God speaking, that he just is so obvious, but he's still going, because God has spoken, yep. I know God has said so much, it seems like this makes sense also. Yes, exactly. But he makes a clear separation. He's like, he kind of gives you a little room like, hey, I know the Holy Spirit's speaking through me and I'm an apostle. This is my opinion based off of what God said. This is my prophecy. Right? I am prophesying to you. It's not necessarily the direct spoken word. Does that make sense? So to get to that, right, and you'll, this whole chapter is about this, kind of what leads to that gift of prophecy and, and how to, to prophesy is far greater than speaking in tongues, which... Let's get, to, let's get to that, because I'll tell you how they connect in a little bit. Speak in tongues. I'll read this part, and then we'll start shifting around a little bit. Uh, for one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. For one, for no one understands him, but he mutters, or sorry, he utters, let me move this, that light's not doing me any favors, good. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand... The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. If you have the um, NIV translation, uses a better word there. It's edifies. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll 
we'll, ident- we'll, we'll define that word too. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So there's kind of two major uh, things that we want to identify with this. And I'll start with the first part, right? So you have speak in tongues. Consider it again for a moment. What is speaking in tongues? What does Paul define it as here? It's so speaking to God, right, in a way that he only understands. Mm -hmm. So we have that speaking to God in a way that only he understands and that he understands you. And he'll talk about it later, right? Uh, when those who speak in tongues, God will understand their spirit, even if your mind is not engaged. And so what is that? And you can kind of see my answer over here. How do we speak to God in a way that only he understands? Speaking only to God in only a way that he understands. And there's two of them, and you do it often. So you can tell everybody, I speak in tongues all the time. And the first one's prayer, right? I sp- and you hear it, to- I wish... I put up all the scriptural examples. I did not, but you hear it time and time again, right? Your spirit groans. Jesus sighs. Jesus goes away into prayer. Uh, you have it in Psalm 40, right? When, when, when David writes, You alone hear my cries. To you alone I give my thanks. Right? All these different ways. Prayer, think about how you pray, right? How much do you say stuff out loud? Not a ton. But Jesus addresses that in like Matthew 6, right? When he says, um, uh, don't go out and babble out like pagans. When it's time for you to pray, go into your house, shut your door, go to the closet and pray only to God, right? Don't do it for show. So we kind of get, and I'm not here, I'm not going to bash any denominations right now. I'll kind of remove that. Let's just talk about a bit more of what we, uh, don't put God in a box, Meaning, putting God in the box would be like, it says speaking in tongues, therefore I have to waggle this thing and open my mouth and make noise, right? Well, if, if you want to put God in the box, then you could certainly try that and tell me how it works for you. I don't, you know, I don't want to say I've tried it. I guess I haven't. So maybe I couldn't tell you it's a great thing. I could tell you my way of speaking in tongues works very well, which is prayer and study. Have you had that time? And I'll tell you, I've had this, you know, I wish I had it more, but I, I have it all the time. When, you, when you're reading scripture, to understand, again, to prophesy the mind of God and who he is, and you just have it where you go, oh, either A, you get it, or B, all of a sudden, wait, 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 I read about this in 1 Samuel, and my study Bible doesn't even connect it over here, Right? That's wild, right? I can't believe that that enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, right? That time of reading, it's like, Lord, uh, if you've ever read and then prayed over the words that you've read before, like I, I guide people through Bible study all the time. Um, I'm like, go through the words and try and like, and then turn the page and then stop for a second and try and remember one, one, one idea or concept from the page you just read and then pray about it. Because it's like, I read the Bible all the time. I don't remember anything. I'm like, I read words all the time and never remember them either. So what will you do that's a little bit different? Personal study and prayer versus public teaching and prayer. Speaking in tongues, right? Building up oneself. To edify oneself is right over here. That's what prayer does. Oftentimes, one-on-one with God. I'm doing it to edify myself. The word edify or edification, by the way, means to, to, brew, uh, to build yourself up, improve upon your intellect or spirit or morality. Right? So to edify someone's meaning, I'm trying to help you increase your intellect, your spirit, or... or um, 
whatever else I said. I'm sorry. Morality. Morality, thank you very much, right? To teach you morality is to edify you. Uh, to teach you and to help improve your intellect is to build you up and to edify you. Therefore, when we go over here, uh, self-edification, does that not happen in personal study and prayer? Absolutely. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm communicating, I'm speaking to God in a way that only He can hear and only He can understand. If I sit, come on, watch me for a second. I just prayed. Did you understand me? No. No, you did not. Yeah, now you're wondering what it was. That's my secret. Uh, <laughs> so building up oneself versus building up one another. Paul's going to talk a lot about this in the in the upcoming section. The purpose of prophesy or prophesying, prophesying. I guess I'll go with that. Is to build up others. When I preach a sermon, when I teach others, right? He'll talk about. I, I wish I just had five words in prophes uh, to prophesy and to build up others than a ten thousand words speaking in tongues. Um, when I go to teach others, that's far. He calls it a far greater gift. And it's funny, the edification also comes for yourself and for others when you, when you participate that way. He'll, he'll, we'll talk about it later. It's kind of everyone's next step as a Christian that we never really want to take because it's a little bit of work. Does anyone here, uh, besides Ross, does anyone here teach anything or have taught anything to anybody in their life? Right? How much better do you know something after you've taught it to somebody else oh. than when you yourself are just receiving it? Mm -hmm. Exactly, right? Not only are you building others up, you're also building up yourself. How does this relate to the? Oh yeah, you can see. Oh, and I told you this over here. What are we? What are some of the things treasured by the Corinthians at this time? Right, philosophers and wisdom. What is the gift that they keep treasuring all through chapter thirteen? Speaking in tongues. Now it could be uh, different languages, right? Again, these are all different interpretations on it. It could be in different languages. It could be in the tongues of men, which are like, you know, Spanish, German, however you want to go with that. It could be in the tongues of angels, which is Hebrew, right? Praying in Hebrew. It could also be speaking in tongues in the way that only God can understand. And that's what Paul's getting to in this chapter compared to the chapter before. These are all gifts that they treasure because they're very selfish. And we tend to get selfish with God's word as well. Right? I'll sit there and I could study for all week and never tell anybody about it, and I feel pretty good. Mm. And Paul doesn't say it's a bad thing. He says it's a good thing, but it's far better to prophesy. And that's where you kind of have to realize that the gifts, the reason why he's talking about them together is one really leads into the other. When I have personal study and prayer time, right, I am therefore being equipped and edified right, by the Holy Spirit so I myself can go and prophesy, so I myself could go and teach others. So I could say in five words what took me a whole week of study to, to do. Let me give you another, another example. Is it easier, let's say you have to give a presentation at work. Is it easier to do it in 30 minutes or is it easier to do it in five minutes? 30. 30, why is that? Because you don't have to uh, go through the rigor of uh, encapsulating uh, big thoughts. Absolutely. You use a lot of words and kind of talk your way to the... Conclusion, if you have to distill mm -hmm. uh, the, the thought, yep. yeah, it, it's, it's, much more, it's much more difficult. John Maxwell said, uh, a college asked him to come and speak. And he's like, okay, well, I'd love to come and speak. It's great. And they're like, well, what, what's, what's your rate? And he's like, well, it depends. How long do you want me to speak? And they're like, uh, well, how about for 60 minutes? And he's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll do that for $500. 
And they're like, oh, gosh, it's a little much. How about for 15? And he says, $1,200. And they're like, why is it so much more? He's like, do you have any idea how much harder and how much rigor it takes to to make a meaningful 15 minutes and how much, you know, I could kind of talk and talk and talk Mm -hmm. over the course of an hour. So when Paul says, I would rather trade, right? He doesn't say the word trade, but we're kind of using that word. 10,000 words spoken in tongues, prayer time and study time, for five words to prophesy to others. Mm-hmm. He's given you a conversion rate, mm-hmm. right? When, when we preach a 30-minute sermon on a, on a Sunday, how much prep time do you think that, ha- that takes? A week. A week? Well, a week? I try to start a little earlier. It, huh? You make your plan. Oh, yeah. Before. Mentally, it's, it started quite a bit before. If I'm starting at the week of, I'm in trouble. Yeah. I, and I say that because then it's my day off is Friday. I'm spending all day. And, it's, and it's, you shouldn't try and spend, you know, a preacher shouldn't lock himself up in a room. And, right. and that's all that he does all day. That's why you kind of want to take it over a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Or if you are doing it over a week, it's because it's a topic you're familiar with. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I can kind of create my outline. We try to make everything due on Monday. Here's your, here's your clue. We try to make everything due on Monday. The Monday before. <laughs> yeah, the Monday after would be a disaster. If I'm preaching a week from today, I, I give my, my material to everybody tomorrow. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, you know, what are you doing the rest of the week? You're refining. I'm going, okay, well, here are my main points. I got to make that, you know. And sometimes we preach a little long. Realize we could have gone a lot longer. <laughs> but there's a lot of rigor in kind of digesting that a bit. But as we go to this, how does it relate to maturity? Paul's calling the people of Corinth to have. Chapter 13 and chapter 3. Chapter 3 is when he says, you, you bunch of dummies, you should stop with the spiritual milk. You need to move on to solid food. And you say you want solid food, but you're not ready for it. It's a comment on their maturity, right? Who eats solid food and who drinks milk? Babies. Are babies selfish? Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just that that's all they can comprehend. It's like, I can't communicate. I can't, I can't get up and take out the trash. You know, I got, there's not much I can give you except for things that come out of my body uh, that I need you to clean up. Right? That's just, where they, that's just that vulnerable position in life. Right? They're like, they cry. They don't care if you got eight hours of sleep. I got to let you know I need to eat. Right? Um, I don't care if you're busy doing something else. I pooped everywhere. Let's, you, it, I, I call for your immediate attention, right? And to say they're selfish, I know it sounds mean, but it's that, that idea of continue to feed me so I can grow, continue to feed me so I can grow. That, that should stop um, at a point, is what Paul says. You know, don't be the 35-year-old that, that moves home after college with no money, no job, you know, that kind of thing to live in mom's basement. I'm not commenting. If you live in your mom's basement, <laughs> great. Um, but, but if you're a contributing member of society, that's a lot lot better and digestible and especially if you're a help and a blessing right compared to like a parasite so to speak and Paul's saying you guys are kind of like you know 40 year old babies when you should be moving on you should be the, to have the the meat that he's talking about is no longer to be selfish that you always have to get but going out and giving so he's saying um, is one good and the other bad no but one leads into the other mm-hmm. am I making sense you know, I've gone a little all over the place, and we're talking kind of about just two terms, and that's it. So I, if I go back to that yeah, Ross. verse 2 of chapter 13, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, mm-hmm. how is that, is that the same prophecy as 
fourteen one, especially the gift of prophecy, or are you saying prophesy in yeah. chapter fourteen is different than chapter thirteen? Yep, because then he continues says, but have not love. So <coughs> uh, I can't I can't give you an accurate example off the top of my head. Okay. But have you heard of like there are some oh 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 man Hawk is it Hawk Nelson? Was that the Christian band not too long ago? Yeah. Where he's playing, they're playing all these Christian songs, and and they're number one in the charts, and they have all this great thing, and then the guy tells you what? Lead singer says, "I don't believe in God." That yeah, that that was a big thing a couple of years ago. He's like, "Yeah, it was a big Christian band." He's like, I, "And I, I, if you're listening to this, and you're Hawk Nelson, and I have the band wrong, I'm sorry." But um, it was, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm like 95% sure it was Hawk Nelson when the lead singer says, "Yeah, I've been touring the country, doing world tours, sold out mm. arenas." But I don't believe in God. But I sing Christian music. Boy, so do you do you get what I'm saying now here? Right? I, can, I revealed the mind of God, but I don't have love. I don't have agape. I don't have love for the sake of others. I do this because I make money, and I don't have God, but I can say words. Does that help you with that at all? Because it's ca no, not really. Yeah. I just wondered if if that's the kind of, like when I've always read it before. If I have the gift of prophecy, I was thinking. I've always thought of it as type like, future. Like fortune telling? Yeah. yeah. Whereas then in, that, in chapter 14, I think of it as prophesy, like you're explaining. Yeah, prophesy. that interpretation. That's what I would go with, honestly, unless I went back and I kind of broke down the words a bit more. But, you know, he uses, he, he talks about mysteries and knowledge way back in chapter 2, maybe, right? If I, uh, to, ugh, misquoting that, but he's talking about, like the mysteries of God, do you, do you recall that? The mysteries, the, the great mysteries of God. The things that we don't know. Okay. If I focus just on the mysteries, it's, it's, gosh, I can't think of that chapter. But let me answer that question maybe a little bit differently okay. later. But that's where I would go with it. There's plenty of people that could say certain things that sound really great. There are plenty of preachers out there that are, that are trying to give you prophecy, that are, have really big, really great followings that one who's a bit more educated kind of listens to, and you go... Oh, man, I can't believe there's a whole stadium worth of people listening to that right now. Yeah, Mike's nodding at me. You know, I'm trying to... Well, I'm... Without <laughs> naming names out there. I'm thinking of an experience I had in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. I, was on a, I was on a bus, and I was talking to the Marine next to me, mm -hmm. and he was an interpreter. <clears throat> he spoke Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we got talking about the gift of tongues. Yeah, he yeah. says, I have that gift. I said, what do you mean? You've got the gift of tongues. He says, for some reason, I'm able to pick up languages just like that. He okay, was probably yeah. mm -hmm. 21 or 22, mm -hmm. and he was fluent in like six languages. Cool, yeah. And mm -hmm. he says, it, it, it came upon him. He was <clears throat> in, a, in a mixed group, mm -hmm. and alongside this mixed group, there was a, a group of young people speaking in a language he didn't know, hadn't learned yet. Yeah. And he said after about five minutes, he was able to understand mm -hmm. everything they were saying. Mm. And he said, yeah. I can't explain it, but it just, that sort of thing comes easy to me. Mm -hmm. He says, when I think of gift of tongues, yeah. that's the way I see it. Speaking you know, Not everybody has that gift. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and yeah. That's just one interpretation of the gift. No, no, and I get you. In, in the chapters previous, I, I feel like that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Like the gifts of tongues, the gifts, uh, the tongues of men and of angels. He's talking about language that's spoken. This one is talking about the, the, the way that we've interpreted it is kind of the, 
rolling on the floor, mm-hmm. kind of you know saying babble like Jesus mentions in Matthew six. We kind of interpret like this is an unknown language that no one can understand. Kind of like he outlines that at the beginning of this chapter. Mm-hmm. But I, I grew up with with somebody, and she she took French class for one semester in middle school. And then she's like, I liked it so much, I studied over the summer, and then she spoke French. So then she spoke a different language, and she was that. She was just like that, mm-hmm. French, Italian, German. All of a sudden, I'm in high school, and she's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. That's just my thing. Can't do math, but I love <laughs> I, lo- I love, I love, all these different languages. That's true. Yeah. Yep. Can't do yeah. math, but I can tell you I can't do math in 17 languages. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, and this is kind of an, I, 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 when reading this, I couldn't help but parallel it a bit to the Reformation. Right when we kind of take that and we consider speaking in tongues, right? The whole point of the Reformation in 1517, you know, with Martin Luther and things uh, like that. What's interesting is uh, one of the big parts of the Reformation. We're like, we don't understand Latin, um, and we'd like to hear the liturgy in a in the common tongue, right? The common vernacular. Same thing with Scripture. Not all of us can read Scripture. We want it in a common vernacular that we can understand. We need someone who can prophesy. We need someone who can interpret these words and write them down so we can understand them. The reason why the whole, if you didn't notice, the whole reason it got changed over to Latin is because at one point the liturgy was everywhere. It was in Greek. It was in Hebrew. It was, in, you know, because we're talking about all the way back from the time of, you know, 33 A.D. You know, they started writing liturgies and things to do in church and all sorts. So they said, fine, here, we'll put it in Latin so everyone can understand it. Mm-hmm. Is the reason why it was, they, they moved everything to Latin at one point. And then all of a sudden, no one spoke Latin anymore, but they're like, this is the holy language. It's like, no, it's not. You, you changed everything to Latin so everyone can understand it. So you're kind of getting, again, that possession of it. So I just found it to be just kind of this fascinating parallel. Yeah, it was the Middle Age. Yeah. Well, empires changed. I mean, Rome was the, was the big em- first, first mm-hmm. big em- well, it wasn't the first, but it was, I guess the Persians were, but yes, it was a big empire. Mm-hmm. And all of the known world around the Mediterranean, everything mm-hmm. that's all Roman, so that's Latin. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the Romans are the uh, uh, were a catalyst mm-hmm. to the expansion of Christianity when they converted. Then all of a sudden, a lot yeah. of people became Christians. But do you, so do you see how this idea of me speaking in a tongue that no one can understand must be me speaking only to God? Do you see where the misnomer yes. is kind of developed from? Sure. Right? When all of a sudden we're holding on to older traditions that were new traditions at one point so everyone could have access to the Word of God. And then it became, well, Latin's this holy language, so this is the only way that we can do um, the liturgy when no one knows Latin anymore. You know, it being well, a dead it's language, it's meaning just, no one can even speak it. It's just not taught. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we could know it. So oh, sure, so it yeah. Was, it I, was offered. Well, why not go back to Greek then? <laughs> then it was well, that much older. Could, could, well, exactly. Good, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So then when you look at that, uh, there, there was one more point. Oh, we still do this a little bit. Um, why even today, he- why not Hebrew? You kind of think of, that's not spoken. you think of either A, the world of mm-hmm. academia, or B, have you ever heard the term Christianese? Right? Christianese. It's when we say words in like church that no one uses or can understand. Yeah. You know, justification, mm-hmm. sanctification. Like when I was brand new, I I, I always mixed up the words because I didn't know I didn't say them every day mm-hmm. when I was a brand new Christian. I'm like, I don't know which one, which one is which again. I don't I don't quite remember. Um, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'm like, let a guy on my lawn. Like, is that what you mean? Because that's what it means to me. No, it, it means sins. It means the way that I've wronged you. Oh, well, why don't you just say that? <laughs> that, was, that was kind of my, 
my go-to phrase when I was a brand new Christian, well, why don't we just say that? It's like, <sighs> we kind of do. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, so it's kind of all that will we'll become possessive of language. Anyway, those are, those are, that's just an anecdote, something on the side. we got a lot more left, and seven minutes to go. Uh, over here, so I, I kind of use this, right? I just defined edification already. And over here, oh, let's read this. This is great. Can someone read 6 through 12? So Paul's building the case here, and you'll kind of see where a lot of what I'm telling you has come from. It's this middle section over here. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some relevance, revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is foreign to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Thank you. I love that line. Over here, verses 10, right? There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none without meaning. Right? Why, why do none of the languages, why do all languages have meaning? Because somebody understands it. Someone understands it, exactly. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. It doesn't matter how beautiful the language could sound if I make up my own language. Whether it's, it's a beautifully written prayer with a bunch of really big words that you don't understand. Whether I do it in a completely different tongue of men, if I do it in babbles, or I do it in complete silence. None of it is of any benefit to anybody unless anyone can understand it. And we're called to, as he says, edify, right, the idea of edification to edify the church, the people that are there and the people that are present. Any questions on that? Ross, what did you think of that music example? Oh, no, 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 the one over here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trumpet. I, yeah, I don't play trumpet for called battle. I play for sound, for music. But for music, yeah, but people can enjoy it and listen to it. The way it used to be was it was called worship, and that's what it was. Yeah. It was an Absolutely. From far away. Mm -hmm. yep. It's a signal. Yep. But it, and even now, though, when you play music in a, a musical way, that, you know, music theory and stuff, there's kind of all these bounds in which music's in that we try to identify it in because it's pleasant to listen to. I can hear you play, and I can say that sounds sad. I can hear you play, and I can say, that sounds happy. I can hear you play, and I'm like, man, that makes me excited. Um, but if you just, you know, it's like a, a, a comment against bad jazz. What's that guy doing? <laughs> like, I, I don't know what's going on. It's like, oh, that's, you know, it's, it's jazz music. Well, it just sounds like he's blowing in his horn and hitting a bunch of stuff. There's good jazz music. Yes, don't get me wrong. You, you, get, you get my idea with it? Let's have a motif. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's not even using words in that example, um, even with musical instruments, right? He's talking about the way that music even flows. You can still understand it. If we go to kind of the final section. Of, oh, almost final section. Sorry, I'm cruising through this. 13 through 19. Someone read that for me. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I also, 
will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? He may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned... So basically Paul is saying he's not going into talk radio? He's not going into talk radio? Um, So when when you go into this, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Right? Uh, do you think? Do you think he does? Well, yeah. That's what he said. That's what he said. But now, now take it and, and, and leave it to interpretation. Don't put God in a box. Is he just a little person up there and he's just kind of babbling and then interpreting his own words? Where do you think it comes from? Prayer. Prayer. Study. I mean, he had direct revelation from Jesus, which is great. I I take some of that too. You know, when when Jesus appears. But we're talking about Paul, the Pharisee. Paul, the, the scribe, Paul, the one who is high up in this upper echelon of Judaism, right? He's gotten plenty of edification. He's gotten plenty of ability to speak in tongues, in time to study, in time to ponder it as well. If we go over here, therefore, oh, okay, here comes the point. Recall the last, the, the last question. One who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret, right? The one who studies, who has the information and capacity to edify others should pray for the power to communicate it and teach it to others. Um, Come on, come on. Where is it? I had a great example. Oh, oh, there's, uh, there's two kind of common beliefs when it comes to gifts. One of them is called the sensationalist, and the other one is called the, uh, come on, ceased. Uh, the, 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 I can't think of the word, but it's the idea all gifts have ceased. Meaning, uh, we no longer prophesy, we no longer speak in tongues, we no longer have these things because Jesus did them all for us, so we don't have to worry about it. Se- uh, se- sensationalist. Is that right? Like sensationalists. Yeah. All gifts have ceased. Then sensationalists. That's when we have the the big the big uh, stadium and people are going up and they're going heal and they're hitting them on the head and it's like I have the gift of this. I have the gift of healing. We're doing the the babbling. We're speaking in tongues and we're rolling around. We have these two things and we have nothing in the middle. And we're saying you essentially have to choose one. Mm-hmm. Is it like? And Paul's saying like, do we? Did you ever imagine Paul being the one that would be on either side? Not necessarily, right? So as you go through this, Paul says, um, gosh, nevertheless, sorry, I'm, tr- I'm trying to skip things in my head, and it's not connecting very well. But um, I'd rather speak five interpreted words for the sake of others than having a thousand personal facts. Again, I talk about the gifts of, the purpose of gifts. The two reasons Paul's writing this letter are what? Edify. Well, you could say edify. Answer questions. I would say that could be edify. I might even start changing my answer. To edify. Here are the questions you have, and the other one's for what? Unity, Unity, right? He's talking again, time and time again. Does, uh, according to what he said so far, which gift unifies people? Prophecy. Prophesy. Exactly. It's for the purpose, for the sake of somebody else. How do you know so much? Oh, oh man. We talked about this a little bit. Right? Uh, the idea of when you start to teach something, you know it far better. Mm-hmm. I have people, that will, you know, I had someone ask me just two or three weeks ago, gosh, you know, he asked me a question. He's like, how do you retain so much? How do you learn so much about Bible history and what's going on at the time and the context? I can't seem to keep it all straight. I'm like, I have to teach it all the time. And you'd be surprised when you teach something how much more it kind of lands home. Uh, the last part. 
Sorry. I know I'm yeah. finishing this up fast. Maybe we'll kind of finish this up a bit next time before we start to. 20 through 25. 22 is an awesome verse that I want to talk about. Let me take this last section. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written by, pe by people of strange tongues and by their lips of foreigners I will speak. Am I in the right section? Yes, you are. I am, thank you. I will speak. Will I speak to this people? And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters and he is convicted by all, he is called out to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's talk about this verse, and then, then we got to start calling it here. Tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. This makes sense when you think of it in one way. Tongues are not a sign for believers. But isn't that kind of how you would say today it's used for? That the tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. They're kind of a sign for unbelievers. People are seeing these amazing signs happen. Wow, that guy's speaking tongues. Everybody starts to clap, and they cheer even though they don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. No. Tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. Rewind back to personal study and prayer, right? Uh, when you come in for a, a sermon and for a message, you, you kind of get a sense of it, but it's really until you start digesting the word for yourself do you start to understand the mind of God maybe a little bit. It's not saying that it's not for believers, but that's kind of for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is not a sign for unbelievers, but for believers. And you can kind of get the example of what I say over here. Does first grade teach kindergarten? Right? So you're in kindergarten class. My, my, my child's in kindergarten. She has a teacher who went to school for four years and got an undergrad degree in elementary education. And, you know, let's say they're at the youngest, let's say 25. Why is there a 25-year-old teaching kindergarten and not a first grader teaching kindergarten? Because this is your Swift trucking company. There you go. Okay. Yeah, there you go. They don't understand how to teach, do they? And kind of the depth in which it takes to have someone understand it, even though you know the content. <clears throat> yeah. In the same sense, the, the gift of prophecy is for believers mm -hmm. because I would be the one teaching you, one who's already a believer, right. not one who's simply receiving the information. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? That's why he's saying it's a sign for believers. That's your next step in faith is what he'll start talking about later on, but what he's already mentioned before. Your next sign of maturity is to do this thing, mm -hmm. is to be the one who prophesies, is to be the one who shares the word of God, to be the one that he said before, pursue agape, pursue sacrifice and teaching for the sake of others rather than just edifying yourself. There is a time when you need to edify yourself. Don't get me wrong, right? You better know what you're going to teach before you start trying to teach it. But that's kind of a next level. It's like, okay, I know the idea. How am I going to communicate it to others? Right? Consider all speaking in tongues. Right? And I say consider it both ways. In ways that only God understands. And study, um, you know, Christianese, Pentecostal. What would it look like if an outsider came in and saw that? And how would they feel? Right? I would be, I'll I'd be frightened <laughs> if, mm -hmm. if it was any of those ways. If it was complete silence and everyone was praying. 
If it was everyone with their Bibles open and just reading, I'd be like, is this a library? What's going on? If I came in and, uh, like I said, Pentecostal rolling around saying things. If I come in, when I was a new Christian, the idea of Christianese, all the words that I didn't understand, and then I had to say them out loud with everybody. I'm not the kind of guy that likes to, I read all the like terms of terms and conditions before I like click the thing on my app kind of guy. I'm like, you know, what's going on with my information here? But um, in the same sense of Christianese, I'm like, I don't want to say that out loud if I don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. So we go to that, right? If I'll prophesy, right? Again, if all are interpreting and helping you understand the mind of God, imagine a church that does that, right? Not just a sermon, but like if you're leading a Bible study, if you're just having a conversation with a friend, if you're seeking to help the Bible make sense to everybody else, how many more hearts are convicted? Right? How many people are going to listen to Dylan more than they'll ever listen to me? And I say that, you know, with wearing a collar and a black shirt. I, uh, I found I, many stories about how when people find out what they, I do as a career, they stop talking to me. It's like, it doesn't matter how much I make the Bible make sense, they won't listen to me. And, you know, believe it or not, people don't like me sometimes. Who knows why? Um, it could be any reason, not me. But, no, it's probably me. But there are people that will listen to Lois. And if Lois is the one helping them make sense of the Bible, if everyone as a church and as a body, like he says before, are all operating as a body, the blood of Christ flowing through their veins, using their gift in that godly way, pursuing agape, sacrifice and teaching for the sake of others, you know, he gives you a picture of what it would look like. Everyone would come in, and they would fall down on their face, their heart convicted in praising God. Right? Clarity of the gospel. So you kind of get those two questions. I'm way late. So, sorry, everybody. Can we pray? And then maybe clarify more next time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for your word. It's so dense, and it's so rich because you want us to dive in. You want us to swim through it. You want us to digest it. Um, You want us to look through it. And, Lord, you want us to prophesy. You want us to interpret your word, know your mind, gain your wisdom so we can, in turn, do that for others. Interpret for others. Speak to them in just five simple words. Your great grace, your great truth for them. So, Lord, help us, inspire us today, and uh, continue to edify us with your spirit, as you always do. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.